0: this is more than i expected but not just because people heard that i might be preaching but because of the this whole time change thing i don't know who thought of the whole let's get up at two o'clock in the morning to change our clocks that's just stupid i'm not doing that next year so we're gonna but i, I mean we have so many clocks in the house that you get up in the morning and you really do kind of freak out because half of them are changed and half aren't and, and you've if you're like me, you're thinking, is my phone going to change on the phone, or do I have to do it? And, you know, you just got to trust Verizon that he's going to get you up. But um, it is great to be here this morning, and I'm excited and just about what we're talking about. We're continuing to go through Galatians, and there was a phrase that I, I heard that Christians need to be reminded a lot of times more than they need to be instructed. And it seems like Galatians... It's kind of like that, where we're constantly hearing about the fact that salvation is by Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. He starts out in Galatians 1, and he continues on, and he, and he just pounds that message in. And we're in Galatians 5, and he's, and he's, he keeps going with that, because he wants Galatians to know, he wants us to know, that you're not saved because of the good works that you do. Now, sometimes you get confused. And we hear, well, in that case, I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want because it's not going to affect my salvation. But the Bible continues. If you look throughout the Bible and look into James, it talks about the fact that if you truly have come to that point of understanding that we're a sinner and that we need Christ, then those works are going to come out naturally. That's going to be part of who we are because of the fact that we have Christ in us. So the works aren't, it's not that they're not important, but they're not what save us. They're not what make us right with God. It's it's understanding what Christ did on the cross. So we think about in the Galatians time, they're talking about circumcision. And they're talking about following all the laws. And that's what these Judaizers, these false teachers were coming in and they were saying, the only way that you can be made right with God is by following all these laws, doing everything that the law, you know, demands. And Paul had come in earlier and he would said, hey, you know what? It's trusting in Christ. That's what makes you right. This other stuff isn't. Gonna, God isn't going to sit there and say, oh, because you did this, now I accept you. We're already accepted if we understand what Christ did on the cross. And so once we understand that, then we can start to figure out the rest of that. But we, we think about going to church. Getting up an hour earlier than we normally do to go to church. Does that make me right with God? Is God pleased now? The more tired I am, is God more pleased? Because most of us would probably be in great standing right now. You know, if giving money, helping the poor... Praying, taking communion. All these things that we sit there and say, this is, this is what you know, we're asked to do, we're, we're told to do. But are we doing that because if we don't, then God won't be happy with us. God's not going to accept us. So we've got to look at it and we've got to say, it's not because of what we do, but it's because of who, we, who we're um, tied to, and that's Christ. How many here have ever been to Niagara Falls? Few of you. Okay, I, I, when I'm, The church I was that before this was upstate New York. We were a couple hours away from Niagara Falls. So we would go to visit um, a few times. And it's such a cool place. And you get there and you take about 14 hours to get across the border if you want to go to the Canadian side. And you're standing and you're looking and you're just looking out over this majestic thing. And it's like, I don't know if you've seen the pictures lately, how Niagara Falls is, is freezing up and it's pretty awesome. To, to see that. But we're, we're out there and we're, we're looking out over this. We're like, this is amazing. And you look across and he's like, this is so cool. Well, there's a guy, Charles Blondin, back in the 1850s, who decided that Niagara Falls was so cool that he wanted to take a tightrope and walk across it. And since then, there have been other knuckleheads who have done the same thing. But Charles Blondin decided, I want to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And you've got to wonder... What, happened? what was it that just kind of he woke up and said, Hey, that'd be a good idea to do this. And so he, he puts his tightrope across. And after, after Canada and the U.S. fought over you know this because he's going to be crossing over, you know, do you have to have your passport ready to hand to somebody halfway across? Or how's that going to work? And, you know, and the Canadians didn't want him dying on their side. And the U.S. didn't want him dying. on you know, So they had to go through all this, this fighting. and So finally they let him do it. And so he gets up and he walks across. And it says that he got so comfortable... And the fact that he got bored, which is kind of funny, that one time he put a little backpack stove on his back. And as he's walking across, halfway across he stops. He sits down and he pulls out the stove and he makes an omelet. And the middle of Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And I was just like, man, you know what? I like making omelets, but I'd much rather just do it in my kitchen. I think it's a little safer. So here he is. He's going, and then he comes back and he goes, how many think... I could carry somebody on my back across these falls. People, oh, yeah, we think you could do that. You know, And then he goes, all right, who's the first one? You know, all the hands went down. Well, his manager, Harry Colcord, was with him. And his manager was the one who was kind of like helping. He was making money off of you know, what Charles was doing. So the manager said, I'll do it. So he gets on his back. As he starts walking across. And he says, I totally trust you that you can do this. But I want you to picture, if he's like getting ready to get on his back and he goes, Hey, before we do this, can we just put a safety net down? I mean, I totally trust you. I have no doubt. But can we just have a safety net just in case? Because if you were to fall, it'd be like, look down there. It's a long way. So if we just put that up there, I'm, I'm totally fine. You know, that wouldn't be him totally trusting. And what I want us to understand this morning is when we think about salvation, if we sit there and go, Jesus, I totally trust you. I totally trust that you can save me. But I'm going to use my works. I'm going to continue to do these things because it's a safety net. Just in case you're not enough, I want to make sure that... I'm going to get on your back, Jesus, and we're going to go. But I'd like to have a safety net just in case I'm wrong. That's not faith. That's basically saying you know what, it's, it's going to be on me. You know, it's, I, I've got to have a part in this. And, and that's what Paul is, is trying to get across, is like, it's not our works. It's not anything that we do that's going to save us. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 15, and, um, and we're going to look at a couple of different verses um, also. But I just want us to, to read through this as we look at Galatians 5, 1 through 15, and kind of get a feel of what, what is Paul saying? I mean, we know the general theme of Galatians is that you're not saving yourself. But let's look at how he breaks it down and he he kind of teaches us something new um, in in chapter 5. So Galatians 5, starting with verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we placed our faith in Christ Jesus, there was no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You are running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish the little troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So as we look at this, it seems pretty intense and some of it seems pretty harsh, how Paul's writing. But you've got to kind of picture it. If you have kids, you can kind of understand Paul is really looking at the church of Galatia as his kids. And he's saying, hey, you know what, I've raised you, I've taught you this stuff, and now someone's coming in, and they're trying to teach you something totally different. And if somebody came in, and, and we're, we're trying to confuse my kids and try to mess them up, I'd have a hard time with that, and I'd probably have the same tone that Paul's having. So when he's writing this, he's looking and saying, this is my family, and, and people are coming in, and they're trying to, trying to mess with their heads. And he's saying, I don't want to have that. And so he's going to come up here and say, I just wish they'd mutilate themselves. I wish they'd cut themselves off and be done and and, and be out of here. So Paul's talking about the fact that we have freedom. And when we we hear about that, he's not talking about freedom to go out and do whatever we want. Because when we think of freedom, we just think, I'm free to just do whatever. It doesn't matter. I can sin. I can do whatever because I'm free. But Paul's talking about the fact that the freedom is the freedom from the law. We're free to not have to sit there and worry about each step we take making us right with God. The freedom comes from the fact that we know that we're right with God because of Christ. That's where our freedom comes from. We don't have to have that burden of every day waking up, is God God okay with me today? We sit there and we can say, he's okay with me because of Christ. And that's where the freedom comes in. The Judaizers were these false teachers coming in and they were saying that's not right. God's not going to be pleased with you unless you're doing these things. Now, I I got to confess something now. I'm a maple syrup addict. I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the real maple syrup. I don't I don't like this Aunt Jemima. I don't have anything against her or Mrs. Butterworth or, or that other flavored water, you know, that they they put in the store. I like the real stuff. I, I grew up in New England, in Vermont, where they tap the trees, and you sit there, and you, you, you come out with the real syrup. And I had a, an aunt, an aunt, I had an uncle's wife who, um, I don't know how you say it out here, but um, I had this family of mine I'm related to that, that they did, they made, they had a, a, a farm where they tapped the trees and they made the syrup. And I said, I want that. I want to have a gallon of that. And so they send it out to me. I have it in my fridge, in my freezer. And you put in the, you know, you put the pancakes out and you get that real syrup. You put it on there and you're like, oh, this is so good. And it's got the, the jug is, it's not see-through, these jugs. It's just a big plastic container. And I would pull it out. I'm pouring the syrup on it. It's just, is awesome. And I would have, when, when kids would come over and spend the night with, with my kids and they'd have breakfast in the morning, I would sit there and make them take a pledge. Because this stuff is expensive. And I sit there and I say, Will you pledge to honor this syrup and treat it right? Because otherwise, I'm going to give you this water that's, you know, this brown stuff that looks, that they say is syrup. And I, one time my kids were like, Dad, we want the real stuff. And I was like, You know, you don't really know the difference. And they said, Oh, we do, we do. And I said, All right, we're going to have a little test, a blind test. I'm going to put this syrup and then this syrup, and you guys taste it, and you tell me which one's, you know, the real stuff. I'm evil. And I put both of the fake stuff. And they went through, and they were, for sure, this is the right stuff. And I was sitting there going, you know what, you're never getting any. I mean, that's, that's just, I'm, I'm bad like that. But I was sitting there going, that stuff's precious to me. I mean, my kids are second, but you know. Um, but we think about it, and, and so I have this jug of syrup, and I'm like, this stuff is awesome. And so I pull it out. What I forgot was that it had been in the fridge for, seriously, a couple years. Syrup was supposed to last a while. I didn't know how long. So I pulled the syrup out. My pancakes are ready. I poured out clumps of mold come out onto my pancakes. And you want to talk about just ruining your entire day. To sit there and see that, it's just like, you know what? It's like it was probably at least a quarter of that in there that was gone. It was wasted. And I was like... I was just crying. I was like, This is sad. You know, this is like my kids moving out of the house. I gotta throw this bottle of syrup out. And but when I thought about that, I thought about the fact that that first Samuel sixteen seven. It tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's what's going on here in Galatians, is that the Judaizers are saying, Hey, we have to look good on the outside so that God will be pleased with us. They were more interested in what's on the outside than what's on the inside. So that jug of syrup looked really good on the outside. But when it poured out and you saw what was inside, it was gross. And a lot of times we sit there and we try so hard to look good on the outside because we think if I do this, then I'm going to be okay. And we focus so much on looking good, on doing the things that are good, that we don't take care of the inside, and we're molding away, and we're, we're rotting away inside. So God's saying, I'm looking at the inside. I'm looking at what your heart looks like, and then we'll take care of the outside. That's going to come naturally. But we get it backwards a lot of times. We think that if I get the outside good, the inside's going to you know, be okay too. And so we, I want us to understand that, that God is saying, what does your heart look like? Where is your heart really? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And says, let us run with endurance the race God set for us. He says, get rid of anything that's going to trip you up, anything that's going to slow you down, even this idea that I have to work for my salvation. He says, that's going to slow you down. That's going to trip you up. And that's what's happening here. We see that in these verses we're going to look at in a second. Is that Paul's saying, there are people coming in trying to trip you up as you're running the race. It's interesting how throughout the Bible you see the the analogy of the Christian life being a race. That we're running a race. And Paul talks about that. And he says, you're running a good race. Who who came in and kind of messed you up and, and pushed you off the track? I remember when I was in basic training in the Air Force. I remember that we would have to march and run every day with these big backpacks on. And we would go, and you get to the point where after, you know, the, the six, eight weeks, that you're, you're finally saying, I'll be glad when I'm done with this. And we came down to like the last couple days, and they said, all right, we're going to take off the backpacks, and now we're going to run. We were so excited, but there was one guy we called Gomer Pyle, and... I don't know why, I don't know, but he just, maybe he looked like Gomer Pyle. And for anyone under 60, I'm sorry that you don't know who that is. So. Um, but Gomer was like, I don't want to take my backpack off. And we were looking at him going, are you kidding me? This thing's like 60 pounds. Why would you want to keep that on when you're running? But he got so used to running and walking with that thing on that he was like, I don't know what it would be like not to have it on. And we just thought that was strange, and we finally got him to realize that was goofy. But then we look at him and say, Paul's saying, that's what you're doing with the law. You're sitting there, that backpack of the law, this heavy weight of having to follow every law, is weighing you down, and you're not able to run the race the way that God wants you to run. So Paul says, take that off, and you're going to be free to run that race the way that God wants you to. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. And so we've got to understand that our salvation comes from whose we are, not who we are. It comes from whose we are, that we are Christ, in Christ. That's what makes us right with God. It's not because of who we are. So I want to just look for a couple minutes here at some of the dangers of this false teaching. What are some of the dangers that can come from this false teaching? The first one it says is we can, we're going to be... That Christ will be of no benefit to us. When we look at this, it says, it says that Christ is of no benefit if we're sitting there trying to save ourselves. Because what Christ did on the cross, we're saying, that was nice, I'm glad he did that, but it wasn't enough to, to get me right with God. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, we're obligated to keep the whole law. If we want to sit there and say, I'm going to follow the law to be made right with God, look what James 2.10 says. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is a guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So let's say we got 613 laws that we're supposed to follow. You follow 612, but you break one. The person next to you breaks 612 and keeps one. In God's eyes, we're the same. Doesn't seem fair, does it? I sit there and I strive and I do everything I can and I mess up one time. And you're going to say that I've broken the law? That's what God says. He says the law was there basically to show us that we can't be made right on our own. There's no way that we can follow all those laws. So God said that's why Christ came, to make us right. So if we want to say we're going to follow, follow God's laws to be made right with God, we've got to do them all perfectly. And the only person that's ever done that is Christ. So we go to verse 4, and it says, fallen from grace. It tells us that if you're trying to, to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have cut yourself off from Christ, you have fallen away from God's grace. And there, there are some people who sit there and say, a person who is truly saved can lose their salvation according to this verse. And I want us to understand that the Bible never contradicts itself. And throughout the Bible, it talks about the fact that God, once we've come to Christ, once we put our faith in Christ... That God has us in his hands and he's not going to let us go. And so we've got to put that, when we look at the context of scripture, and when we, we see a verse like this, we've got to understand that he's either talking about people who had never come to faith in Christ, maybe they thought they did, but they never have truly, and they're going to fall away from that. Or people that have put their faith in Christ are going to lose that freedom that Christ is talking about. That freedom to live and run that race without that backpack of the law on. If we sit there and go back to trying to, to follow the laws so we got the dangers of the false doctrine and then we've got the character of the false teachers. We look in verses seven through 12, what is the character of the false teachers? First one is they hinder the truth. Paul came in, he preached the truth, the people knew the truth and they were going after it. but then it says, "You were running the race so well who has held you back from following the truth? I remember running a race. When it wasn't a race, it was like in gym class. And I remember running, and we were we were running, and all of a sudden, a couple of guys would come in and they'd start bumping into me and trying to trying to knock me off the track because their buddy and I were kind of, you know, going together, and they didn't they didn't want him to lose, and so they came in and they kept like kind of pushing me off, and and I'm standing going, but it's hard to run that way, when someone's coming in, and they keep getting in your way. And that's what Paul's saying is, you're running this race. And somebody's coming in, and they're trying to jump in and say, hey, you know what, you're not running it right. You're not on the right track. You're not on the right course. You've got to come over here. And that's, that's what Paul's saying is, no, you're on the right course. Make sure you're listening to the right coach. And then it says in verse 8 that they're not from God. That obviously these people are teaching things that aren't from God. They're, they're basically from the devil. Because the devil wants us to sit there and, and think that we can't possibly be made right with God. There's no way we can do that. And he, he wants us to give up. And so these teachers are coming in and saying, you know what, you can't. You really, you're not going to be able to do it. And that's not, that doesn't come from God. And then the third the one is that they contaminate the church. It says that, a, that false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. So you take... You take um, an omelet. I mean, I I remember my cooking class. I still remember this cooking class in in high school. And you're sitting there, and you're cracking the eggs, and you're stirring them up. And if you get it, and you've got six eggs, and five are in there, and all of a sudden you go to crack that that sixth egg, and it's rotten, and and you go to there, and you stir it in, your omelet's ruined. And that's what he's saying here, is that yeast, a little yeast can sit there, and it can go through the entire dough. A little bit of bad teaching can ruin everything that you've been working with, working toward and, and the whole idea of what Christ did. I, I, I like to travel. I like to take our kids and we like to just get on the road and go. And when we go down the interstate, there is one restaurant that I always look for. I, I look for it and I'm sitting there going, God, if you could have this restaurant in heaven... That would be pretty cool. There's some that I know are going to be in hell. I mean, I don't know if you guys are Denny's fans, or if you even know what Denny's is, but Denny's is basically like like a six hour wait. To, I mean, every time we go to, to, to one of those, it doesn't matter where we're at, it just seems like we sit down and they forget about us. I think they've got like a picture of our, our family. And when we come in, they go, Sit them in that corner over there, we'll just forget about them. And it's like, so I know where that restaurant's going to be, but there's one restaurant that I know, if there's going to be a restaurant in heaven, It's going to be Cracker Barrel. All right? It's going to be. And I love Cracker Barrel. I don't know if you guys can relate to this. I love the fact that you can drive down the road and you can see the sign. You're driving down the highway. You can see that sign from anywhere. They make it so clear that there's a Cracker Barrel coming up. Make sure the next exit you get off. The thing I get confused about is once you get off, you can never find the stinking restaurant. You get off, and you're like, I see the sign. I can actually see the building. I just can't see a road to get to that building. And you've got to drive like through this lady's garden, and you got to, you know, it's just kind of weird how when you finally show up, you're like, why would you hide such a great thing? But Cracker Barrel has always been one of my favorite restaurants, until just a few years ago. And I'll tell you why. It's because, I told you, I'm an addict to maple syrup, and Cracker Barrel had this pure, 100% maple syrup. And it was great. And now uh, you can look up here, and I want to show you something that's going to help me. Under- okay, so here it is. On your left is the real stuff. 100% pure maple syrup. I remember when I went for a job interview at a church in North Dakota, that there was only like... 10 people in North Dakota, so it was kind of weird to have a church in there. But um, I remember going, and they took me to a Cracker Barrel. And I, and I remember saying, God, this is a sign that you want me here, even though it's like 50 below and it's July. I still, okay. So we get there, and the, the waitress comes up. and I'm getting my pancakes, and I said, can I get like four more bottles of that syrup? So she brings it out, and I just kind of stuff it in my pocket. And so the people that I'm you know, interviewing with are kind of like, I don't know about this guy like he's stealing syrup from Cracker Barrel. You know, this isn't a good start. But I love the Cracker Barrel. I love the syrup. And and so I I get so excited when I go there. Well, I don't know if you can see on the right what it says. They've changed the syrup. And it says 55% pure maple syrup. 45% cane syrup. I have nothing against cane syrup. I mean, that's fine. Cane is not maple. And whoever decided to mess with my maple syrup is in real trouble. Because I get there, and I remember the first time, I remember they brought it out, and I was excited. And it's tricky. 100% pure, natural syrup. If you don't look close, you're not going to notice the change. But when I put it on the pancakes, all of a sudden I'm like, something's not quite right here. Now, to the common folk, they could probably... They wouldn't understand. But to someone, a connoisseur like myself, you can't sneak that by me. And I looked at that and I was like, that isn't right. I said, I'll, I will pay another dollar to get the real stuff or whatever it's going to cost me. I mean, the bottle's only so, so big anyway. But when I look at that, I said, that is what Paul is trying to say. To get nothing else out of this morning, get that Paul is talking about maple syrup in Galatians. All right, write that down. Because... The pure, 100% maple syrup. It's 100%. It's perfect. And then all of a sudden they come in and say, Hey, you know what? We're going to kind of mix in some stuff. We're going to mix in a little yeast in the dough. And that's what Paul is saying is, You had Christ. 100% perfect. Pure. But now you're trying to mix in these works. And you're trying to mix those in with what Christ did in the cross and you've made it to where it is no longer Christ 100% pure, perfect. You've messed that up. Matt and I were talking this week as we were preparing for the sermon and and we thought about the fact that if you went in for surgery and you went in and the doctor said, don't worry, I've done this hundreds of times. Not a problem at all. And my tools, my instruments here... 80% 80% of them are clean. Don't you worry, we're going to be fine. Well, I'd be saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Cracker Barrel and have the surgery because I trust them more. But it's like, if you sit there and the doctor says 80% of these tools are, are, are clean, 20% we're not sure about. You know, you're going to sit there and say, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would I trust that? But that's really what we're saying when we say, Jesus, I trust you 80%. If we trust Jesus 80%, I want you to hear this. If you trust Jesus 80%, you don't trust Jesus. You don't truly have the faith, because we talked about the, the title here is, it's Christ alone by grace alone by faith alone. If we have faith in Christ, it's 100%. You can't sit there like Indiana Jones when, when, they, when he came to that, that chasm and he went, he stepped off he couldn't see the bridge, he just had to step off and trust that it was there he, he's not like this you know, like that and saying, oh I don't feel it, I'm not going to go he finally just said, I'm going to step off and, and trust that it's there us trusting in Christ is stepping off not stepping off 80% but stepping off 100% and saying, I trust you that's what Galatians is talking about that's what Paul's talking about is you've got to trust in him whole. You can't just trust in him in part and think that you're going to do the rest because otherwise you're just maple syrup with cane syrup in it, just so wrong. So let's close up with a couple of things here. We look at the end of um, these verses here, chapter, verses 13 and 14, and it says, oh, first we'll go back to, to verse 6, and it says, What is important is faith expressing itself in love. He says, whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, following these laws, he says the most important thing is your faith lived out in love. How do you love those around you? Verse 13 says, for you have been called to freedom, to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So we look at it and we say, so what is the whole point? What is it that I I take away from this? All right, I'm not saved by what I do. It's by Christ. I get that. But now what? He says, take that freedom that you have. That freedom of not having to sit there and worry every day if, if I'm right with God. And say, now that I know I'm right with God, I can go out and I can serve those around me. We can serve those in need. And then in verse 14 it says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we truly want to understand what Paul's saying, he's saying, you're saved. Christ did the work. If you believe that, you are saved. You're made right with God. Now go out and live and love those around you. Sit there and, and love them the way that you would want to be loved. And then you're going to be Right in God's eyes. That's how we're, we're we're made right in God's eyes because of what Christ did. And because of that, he says, now go out and use that freedom to love those around you. And I want to encourage us as, as we think about that, as we think, as we continue through wrapping up Galatians here soon, that God has called us to love one another. And he's called us to be free from the burden of his backpack on us. Of, of trying to follow every law to be made right. The law was there to prove that we can't be made right on our own. But once we understand that, he says, the law that I want you to follow is love one another as I've loved you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do love us. You love us more than we can possibly comprehend. I just pray that you'll help us to to truly get an understanding of that and how much that means and, and just the power that you have over sin. Lord, we can't possibly get a good grasp of that. And as we, as we go throughout this week, Lord, help us to truly love the way that you've called us to love, to be free from that, that burden of trying to be made right by following the law. And I just pray that you'll help us as we, we think about the 100% perfection that you have, that we don't mix in anything to mess that up. And I pray that you just give us a, a great week this week. In Jesus' name, amen.